Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I like what Warren Wearsby said. Doctrine tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get right. Instruction tells us how to stay right. That's good. And that's what the Bible is profitable for. Because anything you need to know about who you are, what you should be doing, what you're not doing, it's all there. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Today, Philip DeCourcy opens up the book of 2 Timothy to answer some vital questions about the Bible and point to four divine aspects of its usefulness. It's a relevant message from the Without Apology series on living boldly and confidently for Christ. And later in the broadcast, we'll tell you about a new resource that will help you deepen your Christian life. You can find more information at ktt.org. Right now, let's join Pastor Philip with his message. It's titled, The Good Book, Part 2. Now, guys, you know that the Bible is a library of books. Not one book. It's 66 books written by 40 different authors across 1,500 years, written in three different languages from three different continents. And yet, it has a cohesive message. There is a seamless unity. It's one story. There's a unity to the Bible that's marvelous. Let me take a moment because I think this will help you grasp it. This is written by Harold Wilmington at Liberty University. He says this, Let us imagine a religious novel of 66 chapters, which was begun by a single writer around the 6th century A.D. After the author had completed five chapters, he suddenly dies. So follow this. See, that's the Pentateuch. That's Moses. You got your first five books of the Bible. The guy dies. But during the next 1,000 years up to the 16th century, another 30 amateur freelance writers felt constrained to contribute to the unfinished novel. Few of these authors shared anything in common. Some of them were black, others were white, others were yellow, a few were brown. They spoke different languages, lived at different times in different countries, had different backgrounds, occupations, and they wrote with different styles. Let us furthermore imagine that at the completion of the 39th chapter in the novel, all the writing ceases for 400 years. Not one word is added until the 20th century. After this long delay, it begins once again. There's eight new authors who add 27 chapters. You get the analogy? He says, imagine that. How would that novel read? Would it be unified? Would there be inherent contradictions? Probably. Surely. Common sense tells you that. My friend, you apply those principles of the Bible. How do you come up with a unified Bible? With a singular message, with no internal contradictions. Because God wrote it. The Bible not only opens a door to the past, the Bible opens a window to the future. We believe that God knows all things, past, present, and future. The Bible not only is history, it's prophecy. It predicts future history. One example, the life of Christ. 
We could look at prophecies concerning the four great empires back in Daniel 2. We could look at prophecies regarding Cyrus, the Assyrian king. But let's just take the life of Christ. You go back to the Old Testament before Jesus is born, and you'll find the time, the place, his family, his ministry, and the details of the method of his death. Go to Daniel 9, and you'll find the time he'll be born. Go to Micah 5, 2, and you'll find the town he'll be born in and what tribe his family comes from. Go to Isaiah 61, and you'll be told about his ministry, preaching to the poor and liberty to the captive. Go to Psalm 22, and you'll realize they'll pierce his hands and they'll pierce his feet. Amazing, isn't it? Now, the Bible is God's Word. Amazing unity, fulfilled prophecy, proven indestructibility. What does the Word of God say in Isaiah? The Word of the Lord shall stand forever. Books go out of print. They need updated and revised, not the Bible. The Word of the Lord shall stand forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away but not one word of my words will pass away. And we're back to that idea. The Bible reflects the nature of God. God is omniscient. The Bible takes us from the beginning of history to the end of history. And the Bible reflects the eternal and enduring nature of God. God is indestructible. He's had no beginning and no end. And while the Bible has had a beginning in some sense, it will have no end because it will endure like the God who wrote it. What about its transforming ability, its power to change lives? The Bible is the word of life. Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life. I love the words of John Wesley, the great Anglican preacher who started the Methodist church. In a volume of his sermons in 1746, he wrote these words, I am a creature of a day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God, returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. He has written it in a book. Oh, give me the book. Every congregation member on a Sunday morning should say in their hearts as the pastor gets up the steps to the pulpit, oh, give me the book. Every child has a right to say to their parents, give me the book. Your workmates and your neighbors in all their ignorance have a right to say to you and to me based on the Great Commission, give me the book. I need to hear the hope and the message of Jesus Christ because that's where the Bible is profitable as it relates to salvation. Secondly, as it relates to sanctification. Big theological term basically means set apart. See, when you and I get saved, when the Bible makes us wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't stop there. Salvation's not a get-out-of-jail card like the Monopoly game where you just stick it in the back pocket of your jeans and you're good to go. It's a changing of your life because the purpose of salvation is to make you conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's not how you've been living up to the moment you got saved, but that's how you ought to be living after the moment you're saved. And the Bible will help you to work that out and live that out. Remember, sanctification, big word, holiness, kind of sometimes a scary word. It simply means set apart. And that's progressive. Every sermon you hear and begin to apply to your life, 
Every Bible study you go to, every men's group where you have a conversation about Christ, every Sunday morning worship service, all of that begins to progressively set you apart where you kind of go, you know what? I can't do that anymore. The Bible condemns that. And I can't go there anymore because that's not good for my sanctification. And on and on it goes where you progressively get set apart and you become increasingly more like the Lord Jesus. And the agency of that is the Spirit of God using the Word of God to produce the man of God. Look at that little phrase, by the way, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. Who wants to be a man of God? You want to be that. I know that. Hi. The Word of God makes the man of God complete. Bible study, sermons, good books on the Bible. That produces a crop of men of God. It brings us to maturity. That's what that idea is, that the man of God may be complete, mature. So what is the Bible? The Bible is a training manual on how to live a life that pleases God. Got to understand that. It's a light onto our path and a lamp onto our feet. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed to the Word of God. Blessed is the man who meditates on the Bible day and night, for he will be like a tree planted by the river whose leaves blossom all year round. The fruitful, productive life is the life that is rooted in the Word of God. Jesus said, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. And the wise person builds his life upon my words, which are rock-like. In fact, we're not going to take a ton of time to unpack these four aspects to the usefulness of God's Word, but I'll unpack them in simple ways. It's profitable for doctrine. I think you would know what that means. Doctrine means teaching, instruction. The Bible tells us who God is, what God was doing before creation, what God did by means of creation, what God's purpose was because of creation. The Bible tells us about our beginning, talks about our fall, talks about our redemption in Jesus Christ, talks about marriage, friendship, life, death, eternity, heaven, hell. Doctrine. What you need to know about what's important, it's all here. So put the newspaper down, turn the box off, shut your phone down and get into the book. Because anything you need to know about who you are, what you should be doing, what you're not doing, it's all there. Profitable for doctrine, profitable for reproof. Now, but I'd like to think all the time we're doing what we ought to do, but you know better than that, and so did Paul. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the Bible will get in your face about that, and it will reprove you. Let me say something my friend Mark Hitchcock shared in a sermon. He says, men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. It's true. Thirdly, correction. Well, if the Bible gets in your face and calls for change, the Bible then turns you around and points you to the path of obedience and shows you what you need to stop doing and how to begin doing what you ought to have been doing in the first place. And then instruction in righteousness. The word instruction there is a fatherly term. It means to raise your children, to discipline and develop your children. So the Bible instructs the child of God and helps them to grow in their knowledge of God. Or I like what Warren Wearsby said, doctrine tells us what is right, 
Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get right. Instruction tells us how to stay right. That's good. And that's what the Bible's profitable for. That's why it's so precious. That's why I have this living memory of my working class father before he dons his overalls to go down to the factory. Always open his King James Bible about six o'clock in the morning with a cup of tea in hand and read it because he knew that it would tell him what is right. It would tell him what is not right. It would tell him how to get right. It would tell him how to stay right. Since I've talked about my father, I'll talk about my mother. You know I've sat in many a seminary class, but probably none better than my mother's kitchen. I remember one day, a young Christian finding my feet in Christ, which is interesting. That word correct, by the way, I forgot, means to set upright on one's feet. That's what the Bible does. It gets you under your feet. And I was getting under my feet, and my mom said to me one day something she had heard as a young girl herself from a pastor she loved in Great Victoria Street Baptist Church in Belfast, Pastor Hugh Orr. And she said, Philip, either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. It's one of those ones you write down in the flyleaf of your Bible. All Scripture, all the writings, that's what the word is, remember, graphi, all the writings are given by inspiration, breathed out from God, and they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Finally, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. This relates to service. See, I get saved, and then God wants to start setting me apart for himself, or I begin to, you know, put behind me the things that displease God, and I put in front of me the things that please God, and I begin to grow in holiness. And as I begin to grow in holiness, God can use me to serve him. Earlier on in this book, we looked at it. That phrase, you know, fit or useful for the master's use. It's the training manual for a godly life. It's the operations manual for how to live your life for God's glory. In fact, if you go back to the first letter, what does Paul say in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15? I'll read it for you. I write so that you might know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. What is the purpose of 1 Timothy? It's a pastoral letter to a minister, and it's written. One of the books in the Bible was written to a young man called Timothy with the express purpose of what? So that you might know how to behave yourself in the church. See, it was equipping him to be a good leader. The Bible does that. And by the way, it does it well. Just look at that phrase again. Thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly. Fully. Completely. In fact, it's been translated fully furnishes, completely outfits, thoroughly equips. In fact, it was used of a wagon that was outfitted completely for the journey ahead. You know? It's like, maybe to update that, it's like a camper you have. And before you head up to the Sierras or whatever, you just stick everything into that car that you need. From lip balm to gas to whatever. And before you know it, from floor to ceiling, your camper is outfitted, fully furnished for your journey. That's our word. And so what's the implication? The Bible is sufficient. This is what our Protestant forefathers talked about, the sufficiency of the Bible. A man with the Bible 
indwelt by the Holy Spirit, part of a body of believers can go a long way. It's sufficient. Or let me put it like this as we kind of wrap up. The Bible is enough. The Bible's enough. It will completely outfit you for life and godliness. It can do its job without the addition of dreams. You don't need a dream to understand what God wants you to do. He's already told you. It can do its job without the supplementation of new revelation, words of prophecy. I mean, why do I need a word of prophecy? When this Bible says it can completely outfit me, which means I don't need anything else to live a life that pleases God in terms of knowledge and the will of God. It can do its job without the aid of worldly wisdom. And it can do its job without the necessity of church tradition. It's one of the Catholic Church's fallacies that there's the Word of God and church tradition on both our sacred scripture. That's the teaching of the Catholic Catechism. It's wrong. There can be a place for tradition and the wisdom of men before us, but it's not on the same level or authority as the Word of God, and I don't need it to be thoroughly outfitted. The fall of 1970, Marshall University's football team had lost a close one against Eastern Carolina, 17 to 14. They climbed back on the plane for the journey back to Virginia. His friends and family awaited their arrival, but if you know the story, maybe watch the movie, We Are Marshall, you know the plane went down. 37 players lost their lives, coaches, trainers, booster club members all perished, and it just gutted the heart of that time. And Marshall University went into mourning, and it was hard. And they wondered if there'd ever be a future for their football program, and they realized it would be hard to find a coach. But you know what? They found a coach crazy enough to do it. And they were helped by the NCAA who gave them a waiver and allowed them to play all freshmen on a varsity team. But here was their problem. They had no playbook. I mean, the old playbook was no good. It was for a varsity team. This is rookies. You know, this is a team of freshmen. Where do you get a playbook that is uncomplicated, kind of focuses on the basics? will help move raw recruits into real players. Well, someone suggested that, you know what? The West Virginia University had such a playbook, and maybe they should go and ask them for it. Why do you think that went down? Asking another team for its playbook? But you know what? Their coach was a good man, a generous man, and he gave them the playbook. You know who that was? That was Bobby Bowden, by the way. And they started again with a playbook. And they began to rebuild that program, and they began to take raw recruits and turn them into real players. It's a good movie, by the way. You should watch it. We are Marshall. God has given us a playbook. And it'll turn raw Christians into seasoned saints. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. It will make the man of God complete seasoned, mature, and it will outfit him totally for the life that God has planned for him. Love the book. More importantly, love the one it speaks of, the Lord Jesus Christ. Love his church 
and the body of believers be found among them, be part of the mob, men of the Bible, and grow in your faith and allow the Word of God to be a lamp onto your feet and light onto your path. Let's pray. Father, there's probably one prayer we would simply pray. May we hide your Word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. It made such an impact on me that morning in the kitchen. Philip, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the book. Lord, I must confess, I haven't lived that perfectly to my shame. But, oh God, my love of your word and my confidence in it hasn't waned. And I believe there's a mob, men of the Bible, who want to be the man that you've created them to be, conformed to the image of your Son, men who live out the will of God, men who stand up for truth and the glory of God in a world of mockery. Oh God, make us those kind of men and help us to realize there is no competency in the Christian life apart from the Bible. And so, Lord, help us indeed to say to ourselves, to ask of our preachers, give me the book. Give me the book. Because we are arrows through the air, as John Wesley said. We have come from God and we're going to God and we hang over the great gulf. And heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not pass away. And so we pray that you'd help us to repent of our laziness, our lack of study, our ignorance of your word, where we rest on little cliches and pious statements. Help us to be men who can articulate the Bible, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of end times, doctrine of the church doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Make us such men. We aspire to be that. And we covenant afresh together to become that. And everybody said, Amen. Yes, Amen. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and the conclusion of a lesson titled The Good Book, Part 2. If you missed any part of this multi-part message, you can find them all on our website at ktt.org. And thank you for being with us today. As a faithful listener of Know the Truth, we want to take a moment to express our gratitude for your support. It's your listening, sharing, and giving that keeps this Bible teaching program on the air, bringing the truth of God's Word to people across the country and abroad. And this month, I want to invite you to take your support a step further by becoming a Truth Ambassador. These monthly supporters give an automated gift of $25, $50, $100 or more to share the gospel and help other believers become more firmly rooted in God's Word. You'll receive a welcome package with recently written books by Philip DeCourcy and other exclusive benefits. And as a bonus, we'll also send you a custom Know the Truth shirt as a special thank you. This gift is for those who become a monthly Truth Ambassador during January and it will regularly remind you that you are a faithful member of the Know the Truth team. Finally, when you become a Truth Ambassador or give a one-time gift of any amount, you'll receive Living by God's Promises. This book will help you treasure the promises that God establishes in Christ and conveys in His covenant love to comfort you in your sorrow and strengthen your faith. So call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. If you'd prefer to write, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. 
If you haven't already, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and get connected with our online community. There you'll stay up to date on upcoming events, ministry announcements, fellowship opportunities, and more. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow as Philip begins a new lesson titled Stay on Message. That's Thursday here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh,